And the title of the message is The Preeminent God. And you'll see how that plays out here in a minute. Uh, but as you'll notice as we go through the book of Daniel, I'm hoping you're seeing it the way, well, you can only see it the way you see it and the way you and the Holy Spirit work in union together. The Holy Spirit turns the lights on. But I guess what I'm, what I'm off the cuff trying to say is as I'm going through the book of Daniel, it is so supernatural. There are so many fascinating things that are happening in the book of Daniel. And when I think about them, I don't relegate, relegate them to science fiction or myth or fables or, well, that was just back for those people. And, you know, the ancients, you know, they're just more, they had nothing better to do. They couldn't just Netflix for six hours. So, of course, they thought about spiritual things and supernatural things. But as I'm going through the book of Daniel, I'm thinking that God is just really revelatory in and through this book. He's opening my eyes to the reality that there's a lot going on in the world back then, in the unseen world, as there is today. And just because we're in a postmodern, empirically, scientifically based, western civilized, uh, industrialized culture, it doesn't mean that things are less spiritual now, and it doesn't it doesn't mean just because we think we're more intelligent, and let's face it, those of you that don't believe in Darwin, some of you think that we're more evolved than the people back then. But as I'm going through the book of Daniel, I'm finding, I'm finding so many insights into the awesomeness of God in his created realm. It's in Proverbs 25 where it says, uh, this isn't one of the verses, but um, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it's also... It's the glory of kings to search it out. And I think these kind of these concealed things are now being revealed to us. And even in Daniel, he says, in the last days, knowledge will increase and people will grow in their learning. And you could see that both in the unsaved world, things are growing exponentially technologically. But I think also in the church, things are growing exponentially spiritually if you would open yourself up to it. In uh, Daniel chapter 4, we're going to look through verses 1 through 18. So if you'll turn there, the verses will not be on the screen uh, today. So if you'll turn in your Bible or on your device, or maybe you have it memorized in Aramaic, I don't know, <laughs> you Bible scholars out there. But in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, remember, we're just getting off of the backdrop to kind of give the context overflowing from last week to this week. The backdrop is that Nebuchadnezzar, he made this idol unto himself. And really his name comes from the god of Nebu, or Nabu, who was, uh, according to the Babylonians, um, and the Mesopotamians at that, at that time, because you've got you to remember with me that all of the gods that they believed in were just recycled from one culture to the next. So it went from you know, the Egyptians to the Babylonians to the Assyrians to the Greeks to the Romans, and today we have a completely different. Um, it might be artificial intelligence and aliens and all. We have different gods just repackaged. But uh, Nabu... Uh, was the record keeper of the gods. He was kind of like the librarian. And so Nebuchadnezzar's name is rooted in that, but he really thought that he was the, um, a representative, so to speak, of their chief god called Marduk. And so Nebuchadnezzar then erects this 90-foot statue made of gold in the desert for all to see. And remember, God allowed him to be the king of all of the, the, the civilized world. He had conquered Jerusalem, which used to be the ancient world superpower of that time under the reign of King Solomon. And of course, because when they turned from God to idols and to lesser gods, God warned them through prophets. In fact, a hundred years before, I, the whole book of Isaiah, most of the major prophets are dealing with this time frame where Israel is in captivity to the Babylonians. So Isaiah was saying in, um, in his prophecies, turn, repent, 
a hundred years. And he said, if you don't, God's going to bring you into captivity. Jeremiah, same thing. Uh, Ezekiel deals with it. And so the major prophets, the major theme of the major prophets was this whole idea of being in captivity. Well, they were in captivity. They didn't repent. And when Israel turned to lesser gods themselves and adopted the gods around them and turned from the one true God to these real lesser gods, which you could, when you say the word God, don't think of like a statue. Think of like a fallen angel that's demonically inspiring them, kind of working behind the scenes. Kind of, if I'm Pharaoh, there would be a demon behind me just in whispering in my ear. And um, he, he just manipulating and deceiving and working his evil schemes in and through uh, that empire and that emperor. And so it's no different in Nebuchadnezzar's time. Well, he erects this statue and he says, when I play the music, when the band strikes, if you don't fall down and worship this uh, image that I've erected to myself in honor of myself, because basically I'm the representative of Marduk, the demon behind him, and uh, not only that, I'm so proud that I think that I could on earth be a god on earth as there's gods uh, off the earth. And so he was uh, lifted in pride. But we know that the three Hebrews uh, did not bow down, so Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fiery furnace, and he said, I see, some, I see a fourth in the, in the midst like one of the sons of the gods. And then he pulls them out. Of course, we dealt with this. It was a very familiar event in uh, actual history. Nothing was burnt. Their, their bonds were loosed. And immediately Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, whoever the God is that was in there with the fire, that's, that's the God we're going to go with for now. <laughs> and that's why I titled this message, The Preeminence of God. Because basically, Nebuchadnezzar, being a polytheistic believer, meaning he had a pantheon of gods, gods for different things, um, he was not, he just thought, well, yeah, okay, cool, your god is really good with fire, but there's other gods too. There's gods of weather, there's gods of sex, there's gods of war, uh, there's gods of wisdom, there's gods of money and finance. Just, so yours is, yours is top dog for the day but not the one true and only exclusive monotheistic God, which was the belief of the Hebrews. And think about this, too. In Nebuchadnezzar's mind, if your God was really the main dude of all gods, why did I take over your, your capital city, the superpower, and I heisted all of your God's furniture in the temple, and I actually decimated the temple of Solomon and brought it to ruins? If your God is so powerful as you say, you think, think with me about the pride of someone. Just look at leaders today. Think of how, think of like what, what's behind Vladimir Putin, by the way, who's just activated Satan too, right? His nuclear warhead that could just sink the, the United Kingdom with one launch, just one missile. And he just marches into Ukraine, doing whatever he wants. No one's really stopping him. All we're doing is sending billions of money there, and who knows where that goes, right? Who knows? We're just funding this uh, proxy war that we have no business being in, in my opinion, anyways. Uh, but nevertheless, you could think about the pride of these leaders and the arrogance and the satanic, demonic influence that's really kind of whispering in their ears and motivating them to do. So when, is when Israel turned from God, they turned to injustice, and then it affected the people, and then it affected the, the fatherless, the widows, and the, the innocent, and the helpless, and it always ended up into sacrificing children. And God says, that's it. I've warned you. Enough is enough. There's going to be one that's going to come that's mightier than you, and he's going to be my tool. He's going to be my instrument. And so he sent uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He took Israel, brought him into captivity, and now, like the Antichrist, when later on, sometime soon maybe, come into a theater near you, if you don't worship the beast and the image of his beast and take the mark of the beast, you too will face death. It was the same sort of ultimatum that Nebuchadnezzar brought upon the people. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do it. Daniel wasn't there. He was off on business, most scholars assume. Kind of a picture of the church. He was removed from that whole thing. But he does go through the, the lion's den. 
But what we learn from uh, the fiery furnace and the lion's den is sometimes with trials and tribulations in life, God doesn't remove us from those experiences. We go through those experiences, but there's a fourth in there with us. God was with Daniel in the lion's den. God was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego through the fiery furnace. God will be with you, never leaving you nor forsaking you. What could separate you from the love of, of God in Christ? Nakedness, peril, tribulation. Uh, what could separate you, Romans 8 says? There's nothing that could separate you from the love of God in Christ. We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. So in Daniel chapter 4, in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Now this is Nebuchadnezzar after he uh, released the Hebrews from the fiery furnace. Now he's all stoked about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a polyistic lens. But now he's getting all evangelistic. Peace be multiplied to you. This is kind of how Paul would address the churches, right? Or Peter or John. Hey, peace be multiplied to you. I got this great news. And he, it sounds this way. And this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, by the way. This is, these are the recorded words of Nebuchadnezzar. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. That sounds pretty convincing, as though he's a believer, right? I mean, he believes in the ability of this God that's delivered him in the fire, but we'll see the fruits of this belief as it carries out. This is I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. <laughs> what an arrogant statement. I was chilling out in my palace. Yeah. Had my babes, my brews. Football game was on. Yeah, whatever. I was chilling. But then I saw a dream. It made me afraid, and I lay in bed. And the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might uh, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. It's like, dude, have you learned? Have you learned? Then the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans, which they're like astrologers, and they'd be like uh, necromancers and stuff like that, the occult. Uh, they came in, and then they told them the dream. He told them the dream, but they could not make known the interpretation. Why are they still on his payroll? This is such a, like a repeated thing. At last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, when we say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are the names that Babylon gave them. Daniel doesn't go by his uh, Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, because look, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and whom is the spirit of the holy gods. So he's not monotheistic. He still believes in a polytheistic or a multiplicity or a multitude of, of gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream. And I saw in their interpretation, uh, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height was great and the tree grew and became strong and its top reached into heaven uh, and it was visible to the, to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant and its food was for all and the beasts of the field found uh, shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. Sounds pretty universal, pretty expansive. And I saw in the vision of my head, I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one. Okay, wait. This is the first time this phrase is mentioned. It is a classification of a new deity, but this time this one is from God, and this one's called a watcher. A holy one came down from heaven. That's his locality where he, where this where these watchers live. He proclaimed aloud and thus and said, "Thus chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Uh, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root on the earth, uh, bound with a, a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field." Let him be wet from the dew of heaven, 
Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given unto him. So this watcher is saying, here's, here's what's going on. So, so this angelic being that's called the watcher, which is descriptive of not only who he is, but what he does or what it does, they watch. That's pretty creepy when you think about it. You know, I'm glad they didn't call them the voyeurs. <laughs> and let seven periods of time pass over him. So he's, he's saying there is an end to this. But you're, gonna, you're going to almost chimerically change from a man to a beast, and then you'll be converted back from a beast to a man. And you're like, wait, er, hold on. A watcher, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's going to have a mind of a man, and he's going to be transformed into some sort of earthly animal-type creature? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. And he says that the word of the Holy One, oh, this sentence, verse 17, is by the decree of the watchers. So this classification of angelic beings called the watchers, and by the way, the word watchers is only mentioned in Daniel chapter 4, by the way. It's mentioned a few times, but it's only found in this chapter of the Bible. So the sentence is by decree of the watchers. So they were delegated authority by God. Remember, there's rules of engagement. You want to know why aliens don't disclose themselves? Because God won't let them? Because they're demons? Okay, let's just be honest with that. I mean, I, I don't understand how people could get sidetracked. I do understand because it's a deception. I don't think... There's extraterrestrials from other planets. And they, you know, could you imagine speeding at the, traveling at the speed of light for years and years and years and years? Do you realize, like, the asteroid and the debris and the garbage that's in the... If you're going at the speed of light and you hit something the size of a nickel or a quarter, your vehicle's destroyed. But anyways, they get here and, you know, they don't want to reveal themselves, uh, but then their vehicles break down on Earth. Not, not traveling at the speed of light or going through wormholes. No, their vehicles just run out of gas when they get here. And then, you know, the government goes and then we take it, we reverse engineer it, and then we sequester the aliens and people have fuzzy photographs. You can't, we have 4K phones, 4K video technologies on our phone, but not when it comes to aliens or Bigfoot. No, 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 no. Blurry, 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 blurry. Pixelated. We're stuck in the 80s. It, it, like, come on. What's really going on is what the gods were back in the time of Babylon is what the aliens are today. Because if we said they were gods, we would say, no. <laughs> so those are the old dummies back in the Old Testament. But now people are like, oh man. All, all this is is just updated gods repackaging themselves. In it. And you want to know why they're not disclosing themselves? You mean to tell me, I'm getting off on this tangent. You mean to tell me that aliens that have the ability to dodge debris at the speed of light and then show up from years and years and light years away, traveling at 186,000 miles per second for years, they get here and they're like, okay, we're much smarter, we're much more powerful, uh, we're, we're non-human intelligence, that's what they call them. Um, we're, we're NIH, or they call, I don't know what they call themselves, but that's what we call them. They don't exist, but whatever. Um, and, you know, we got here, there wasn't any gas stations, there wasn't any, like, uh, auto mechanics or spaceship mechanic shops, but, you know, once we got here, our ships broke down, but no one really knows because the government's not letting us disclose ourselves because we're afraid of the United States government. I mean, we could wipe them out because we're, we're way higher, and we have way higher advanced technology. I mean, we've got, like, photon guns, or we can speak, you know, tele telepathy, we could do interdimensional stuff. We could do whatever we want. You mean to tell me these, like, these Navy pilots that are flying next to the Tic Tac? They're like, yeah, they travel at Mach 14 and they make right-hand turns. And if we did that, even in our, um, what they call them, G-Force, uh, anti-gravity G-Force suits that they wear because they compress the pilot's uh, legs and stuff because when you're doing a, a like, I think the most Gs you could do is 10 above all the blood rushes to your head. And pilots do die, by the way, because of the blood rushing to their head. So they wear these compact suits that compact it so the blood doesn't rush to their head. So these things, though, they travel and they just turn. And they're like, we can't, we can't compete with them. We can't take them out. We can't, okay, 
but they're, okay, so they're in hiding. They're just, they're not going to disclose themselves until the government says, okay, everyone, we've decided to disclose what's really going on. You mean the aliens have to listen to, to President Joe Biden? I'm not buying this whole thing at all. I'm not buying it at all. It's repackaged gods, which are fallen angels that we read about throughout the Bible. And just because it's in fancy terminology and interesting like Star Wars type uh, you, you know, narratives, sci-fi narratives, we're like, oh, it can't be gods. It's got to be intelligent life from somewhere else that are just waiting to disclose themselves. So these watchers collectively give a decree and they say, this is what's going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. This is what's going to happen to you. So let's look on the screen here, the summary of what's going on. Summary of Daniel chapter 4, because we're only going to read that far. Nebuchadnezzar's universal proclamation of God, the true vision of Nebuchadnezzar and its interpretation, the vision fulfilled, the humbling and the restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar. So that's what's going on through the chapter. The main characters are God, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the Watchers, and the polytheistic occultists, the ones that, you know, these are the ones that do the Ouija board, they read tarot cards. This is also, I'm trying to make it modern so we understand. Um, you know, these would be psychics, all this type of, like, paranormal. They, they can't, they don't understand, they don't know what's going on, they don't have the abilities, because God is the restrainer. He controls the rules of engagement. That's why there's not a disclosure. That's why demons just can't do whatever. Now, if you mess with stuff like that, if you do drugs and play with Ouija boards and you do seances and all that kind of stuff and you're into the, that darker stuff because it's like alluring and mystical and enchanting and you want to make con... I, people... Uh, yeah, anyways. Um, it, you could access that stuff, but they, they, there's rules. You need to pursue them because God will not allow them to run willy-nilly, to use a theological word, all over the planet and just doing what they want. The watchers were given the ability to, to engage. And so they did. The key word here is, uh, when we get to the end of the chapter, pride, obeys. And Daniel 4.37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are the truth and whose ways of judgment, and, uh, those that walk in pride, he is able to obey. Because when Nebuchadnezzar comes to the end of himself, after the decree of the watchers is fulfilled, then he kind of realizes, and this might actually be when Nebuchadnezzar is converted, but in the meantime, he's just an instrument used by God, first to get Israel to see, quit, quit worshiping these fallen angels and these gods, because it leads to, to children's sacrifice. Why would you guys... Why would you guys put your kids in the altar to a fire to a fallen god? Why would you do that? It's sick. It's, it's demonic, right? And so God had to use Nebuchadnezzar. He did. And he also said through the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah, by the way, it's only going to be for a short time, for 70 years, and then they're going to go back to the land. And then that's why you have um, the minor prophets, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, about the building of the walls and the, and the return back into the land. But here's, what's, here's what uh, John Darby says about this chapter. In chapter 4, we see the manifestation of human pride. The king glories in the work of his hands as though he had created his own greatness. This pride brings judgment. Power is reduced to the condition of uh, the beast and uh, that, that know not God and are devoid of man's understanding. The only true privilege of man, that which in, uh, enables him or ennobles him, is that he can look up to God and acknowledge him. Without this, he looks downward. He cannot suffice to himself. He is degraded. Dependence um, is in his glory, for it sets him before God, gives him to know God, and his mind, associated with God, receives from him its measure and its knowledge. Pride and independence separate, separate man from God. He becomes a beast, devoid of real intelligence. Now this condition depicts that of the kingdom's of which the prophet speaks. And then he, he keeps going on and on, talk about Nebuchadnezzar. So I want to make this point, because though Nebuchadnezzar makes this statement to all the kingdoms, all the nations, it's like he has, he has the megaphone to all the world. He is the world wide web. 
he is controlling the narrative. And it's almost as though like he's using it for good. Uh, I mean, he is acknowledging um, you know, the God that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, contrary to what he was thinking about people need to worship him as God, um, as he's the Marduk's representative on earth. And so we see this. And so go to the next slide in Daniel chapter 4, verses, the first three verses. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show you the signs and the wonders that the high God, it's interesting, the high God. This is a King James Version. Some versions translate it the most high God, which would have acknowledged that that's who God really is. But he's saying he's, he's up there. He's a high God. And he's, he has something to do with fire that my other gods don't really, that's not their department. <laughs> but he wrought to me how, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. So what looks like a conversion here from polythe- polytheism, the belief in many, many gods, to monotheism, the belief that the, the Jews have, the one true God, or from the belief of many lesser gods to the saving faith of the God of gods and King of kings, um, Nebuchadnezzar did not go in that direction. So sometimes polytheists do get saved, but they need a renewing of their mind. We often saw this uh, in Utah when we lived out there, where the Mormons had this belief they were polytheistic. In fact, um, they would say our God that we believe as Christians was uh, what he started just like as we are, yet he earned his way to becoming a God, and they, they use an escalator as an example. So, you know, years and years and years ago, your God, Christians, started here, and he's been working his way to becoming a God of this world, but you got on right here, so as God once was, you are, as God now is, you may become. So they think in this eternal evolution that God keeps growing and growing, but as your God, Christian, is now, you can be the same as him. You just have to keep at it. And so when a, when a Mormon gets saved, they still struggle with polytheism. It's just repackaged. It's just, it's just, it's confusing. And God's not the author of confusion. But they believe in a multiplicity of gods. They even teach that they themselves can become a god and a goddess of their own planet having eternal celestial sex populating that planet. And that's why they have multitudes of kids here because on, on, in heaven, so on earth. So they're just going to keep having... So they're polygamists in heaven, these Mormon gods and goddesses, and they only want hot wives, by the way, which is so funny. There's more plastic surgery in, in Utah, uh, or about the same as there is in Orange County in Southern California, because they want hot wives. Like, they're not going to have no ugly... Wives like with celestial sex, having ugly babies, populating the planet. No, they got it's got to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed planet with hot wives. I know you think that sounds funny, but you could. Do, we lived there for years. It's it's the reality. But we also see this um, when we go to India as well. In India, there's of course over one billion people, but there's also over one million temples in that country each dedicated to a different God. So when, they come, when these people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, like the Mormons or, say, the Hindus in India, they still need some renewing of their mind, right? A lot of that stuff just doesn't go away. Some of that stuff needs to, you know, like the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so a lot of us need software updates, you get the hardware when you get born again. God takes out your old heart and gives you a new heart, but we need software updates. So this is evident that Nebuchadnezzar, I feel like he gets converted later on after he has this broken experience where he goes from a man to a beast, which is phenomenal, by the way. That's so supernatural. But look at what he says in where we were in, these, in chapter 4, at least, just to kind of get his polytheistic autobiography. He says, but at last Daniel came before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods is. And I told him the dream. In verse 9, and Belteshazzar, master of the horoscopists. 
You want your horoscope read? Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, verse 18. If we're just staying in the zip code of Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar again. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen this dream. Now you, O Belteshazzar, declare its meaning because all of the wise men, the people that practice the occult, the Ouija boards, the tarot cards, the psychic readings, astrologies, all that stuff, um, they're not able to do it, but you are able because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So you could see, he's like, yeah, there was one in the fire, like, like one of the sons of the gods that showed up, and somehow he has the power over fire. Not a hair of them was singed. They didn't even smell like a campfire. They didn't smell barbecue. They didn't smell hairy singed. They were just totally fine. So, yeah, there's something about that that's uh, phenomenal. And so he has this, this connection to that he thinks that this is, this is a very important God, but he still has this belief in a multitude of gods. So that's why I want to bring up this point. Next slide. Prominent versus preeminent. Prominent versus preeminent. Now, I mentioned this before, but I want to expand on this because I think it's important, especially when we're dealing with a polytheistic culture and our identity and our relationship with God. Now, prominent versus preeminent. Prominent means you're one amongst many, but you're very important. Preeminent means you're not just one amongst many, you are the most important. I used that example before. If I told my wife, you're, you know, you're prominent, you're one amongst many, you're like, what are you, back in Utah? You polygamous fool, Neil. <laughs> but if I say you're preeminent, that means you're, we're exclusive, you're the only one. So prominent is like, that, yeah, that's cool. You know, you're up there. You're top tier, but you're not exclusive. Sounds like Love Island now. You're not, you, you guys want to be exclusive or you want to keep dating around? Prominent versus preeminent. <laughs> God is not just one amongst many, but he is all supreme. He is the only one of his kind, the self-existent one, the great I am, the uncreated creator of all things. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. So Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God, and the Bible says of him, for all things were created in him, the things in the heavens and the things in the earth. Now, we don't see the things in the heavens, but what do you think those things are? Just, just some guesses. Okay, the, the sun, the moon, the stars. There's trillions. Thank you, James Webb Telescope. Hubble, you did pretty good. James Webb, you're doing much better. We're seeing things so far out into the galaxy. Ours is 100, uh, what is it, 100, 100 million light years, just ours, wide. I mean, that, light years is how long it takes a year to travel at the speed of light. But they're seeing it so far. So, okay, he's made all of that stuff. Um, this is Jesus. But there, the Bible says there's different levels of heaven. There's three levels, the Bible says. There's where the, you know, um, where Delta flies, where Alaska flies, where Southwest flies. Uh, there's where the birds fly. That's heaven number one. Where you, if you were to pay Elon Musk or Bezos, uh, what, a million or I don't know how much it is for a few seconds in heaven, uh, the second level, by the way, you go up into outer space, look around, look down at the earth, and then come back down again, right? That's cool. That's cool. I, that's never been done before. If you were to tell that to, to Nebuchadnezzar, he would be like, are you a god? You know, he would freak out. Um, but then there's where James Webb and the Hubble cannot go and where we don't have enough gas, and no, the aliens don't live there either. This is where God lives, the third level. It's beyond. It's other-dimensional and you can't get there. So Jesus, the Bible says, created all the things in the heavens, including the angelic world, and the things in the earth, including the molecules and the things that you can't see, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, this is describing the rank of the angelic world. Just as though we have a president, a vice president, and all the cabinet members below him in the Congress as on earth, so in heaven. So there's archangels, there's seraphim, there's cherubim, there's watchers. 
as on earth, so as more like, let's reverse it, because they're the elder race, they're, they were way before us, as in heaven, so on earth. But Jesus, it doesn't matter if it's in heaven or earth, he said he is the creator of all things unseen and all things seen. All things are created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he, that he may be preeminent, preeminent in all things. Not just one amongst many, like, oh yeah, you're, you're really good with fire and the fiery furnace, or yeah, you're really good with water. You're like Aquaman. Um, oh yeah, you're really good with, uh, you know, with this or that, or with finances, or with romance, or with wisdom. Oh, you're like the goddess Sophia. Oh yeah, I get it. So, no, he is above all things, him before all things, and by him all things consist. That's why he's not... He's not prominent like he's one of the many gods in the pantheon of all religions and cultures that really surround us throughout all of history up until now. He's not just one of them. Like, really a, like Zeus is really, he's really prominent if you study you know, the gods of these other cultures. He's not like Zeus, like, yeah, you're the top dog of the gods, but you still, there's a god above you that we don't know, Kronos. Uh, but we don't talk about him in the Greek pantheon. It, it, it's not like that. Jesus is before all things. He was at the beginning, but has no beginning. He is at the end currently, but he has no end. He's outside of all of it because he created it, yet he is uncreated. Therefore, he is preeminent. Psalm 82, verse 1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. No one judges him. He judges them. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. For to which of the angels... And by the way, when they translate, translate angels in the Old Testament, they also use the word um, uh, Elohim for angels and fallen angels and God. Um, but God's unique in that to which of the angels did he say at any time, you are my son, this day I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now, when John had an encounter with an angel in the book of Revelation and he tries to worship him because angels are awesome, they're way better than we are and for, in different ways, um, he falls down... And the angel said, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant. You know, and he deflects that. And it's just as tempting for us to worship angels as it is for angels to receive worship. That's why the fallen angels who became gods love that worship. But they're evil. So, with Jesus, however, if we're thinking about the preeminence of who he is, he, look, he, he deflects, he's better than all of them because he created them. And then in Revelation chapter 5, uh, you could turn there, it won't be on the screen, but I'll just read it if you don't want to turn there. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the book and open its seals, uh, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you made us kings and priests to our God. That's our, that's, that's our inheritance, by the way. And we will reign over all of the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, saying with a great voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. <laughs> That's an unseen place too. And those that are in the sea and all them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Preeminent. So, I'm going to hurry up. Just, we're going to kind of cruise through this a little bit fast just so we could give time to our, our meeting. But I want to show this, that on this idea, Nebuchadnezzar... He's like, yeah, the gods are in Daniel. He has a really important God. 
you know, his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were delivered from the fire. Um, uh, but, you know, I still kind of struggle because I feel like I'm God. I have a God complex. And so the watchers come and say, okay, you're not getting it. So we're going to do this thing to you. We're going to humble you. And then at the end, he finally gets it. Some people have a harder level of tolerance to tap out. You ever watch UFC? And some people, they're like, they get in an arm bar or something like that. And, they, and you're like, Joe Rogan's like, Duh, tap out, tap out. And they're like, not going to tap out, snap. <laughs> and some people, if you do, if you go like this to me, like even, a, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm good. You win. Nice, nice, nice. So everyone has a different level of tolerance of pain and pride and stubbornness. And with, with Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's the king of all the known world. He's the, he's the emperor, the, the, he's the main dude. So it's pretty hard for him to get over his pride. So let's look at um, this next idea, the preeminence of the creator God in all things. Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needs anything since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He's making this statement, the Apostle Paul, on Mars Hill when the Pantheon, the, you've seen that um, in Greece and Athens that's up on the, uh, the hill there, was dedicated to their gods. Next to him was Nike, the goddess of conquer. And uh, they had all the Pantheon, and, and it wasn't in the ruins like it is today. Uh, and I've been there and I've seen it with my own eyes, but um, he's saying this to these, these Greek philosophers. You've got to think like the Plato's, the Socrates, the Aristotle's, all of these, they weren't there at that time, but all of these kind of collective intellectual mindset, they're like, hmm, what are you saying? God doesn't, we made a temple dedicated to our gods, a pantheon. They're supposed to show up and give us benefits because we did all this. And you're saying God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands? And they're like, nope, he made everything. John, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Revelation 4.11. Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou did create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. And John 1.1, 1, 1, famous passage of Scripture, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I want you to kind of fast forward. I want you to see these references at least. Psalm 47.8, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy thrones. He is sovereign over all. Power belongs to God. Psalm 62, 11. Go to the next one. Psalm 93, 1. The Lord reigns. Um, you know, he's from everlasting to everlasting. Go to the next one. Psalm 97, 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the islands be glad. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. And as a backdrop or antithesis to the thrones and dominions of of men that get lifted up, or women in pride. Go to the next slide. 1 Timothy 6, I like this one. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testifies of the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Remember when he said, what is truth? And it's interesting because truth was standing right next to him. That keep, you, that keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he shall bring at the proper time, uh, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an inapproach, unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go to the next one. He's preeminent as the only true God. Let's cruise through this really quickly too. Go to the next slide. So John 17. Look at, the, look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life doesn't come from trying. It comes from trusting. It doesn't come from achieving, just receiving and knowing by faith alone, in grace alone, or by grace alone, 
through Christ alone, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by him. And look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and verse 17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Jude 1. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, of his glory blameless uh, with great joy, to the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. This, this is majestic language. This, these are, these are all-powerful, preeminent phrases being doled out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that all power, all might, all dominion, all honor, all glory, all praise, all creation humbles and bows itself before the one true and living God. And there will be a time, by the way, where the Nebuchadnezzars or the, the atheists or the agnostics, the village atheists, the village agnostic, um, where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that what the Bible has been saying, what we have been sharing, is true. They either do it now or they do it later. Isaiah chapter 45, Turn unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is none else. There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I have sworn by myself, Isaiah 45, 23, and the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess or swear allegiance. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things of long past, for I am God and there is none other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things which have not been, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. So yeah, the fallen angels, the demons, the God of this world, Lucifer, the dragon, the serpent, whatever you want to call it, um, God's not the author of confusion. He loves people. The fruit of a relationship with him comes, comes with saving life and preserving life and compassion and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, uh, goodness, kindness. Um, and the opposite can be seen uh, when people listen to the message contrary to the God of love. So, to wrap this whole thing up here, there are gods of other nations and there is a God of this world, a fallen angel named the dragon, the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser, Lucifer. He also is called the angel of light because he transforms himself. He's a shapeshifter, if you want to put it in modern terms. He could be, he could be your, your dead great-great-grandpa if he wants. So this was the Battle of Babylon. This is the Battle of Nebuchadnezzar, and this is the Battle of the Ages. Who will you align yourself to and give your allegiance to? Who will you put your faith in? Just because we live in a postmodern, Western civilized, age of enlightenment, industrialized world does not make the reality of fallen angels who peddle themselves off as gods any less real. But we, as Christians, know the one true God. They don't care if we worship creation, just so long as we don't. Uh, acknowledge God as the creator. They don't care if we worship ourselves, technology, artificial intelligence, demons disguised as aliens uh, that are coming to save mankind or to save us from ourselves and to solve all the problems and stuff like that. Just so long as we don't worship the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus. So, in fact, I'll just kind of close with this. Gnosticism, which permeated the early church, is really kind of predates um, uh, the Greeks, by the way. And it comes in many different forms, and it's been repackaged. And you could see Gnosticism going way back to even the Garden of Eden. Because Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge, uh, which is where we get our concept for wisdom. But wisdom comes from the goddess of Sophia and uh, Gnosticism. And the goddess Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, postulates and permeates the thought that the esoteric higher knowledge or the path to enlightenment leads to the final idea that God is actually evil and that the lesser gods are good, who have come to help us gain the real knowledge and wisdom that God is being withholding from us. 
This gnosis leads people from God and leads to fallen angels, demons, and lesser gods, the same way Babylon was, which, by the way, the Bible says mystery Babylon will be the system that will deceive the whole world in the last days. So that's why this is kind of important to kind of get a little bit of our minds wrapped around this ideology. Because here's what they say. They say, if God is so benevolent, why is he preventing you from becoming like a God yourself and earning your own salvation and eternal life? So they paint the picture, Gnosticism does, that, that God is actually evil and he's preventing you from knowing more than, uh, more, he's withholding. He's a withholding God. If he wasn't so withholding, you could have this enlightenment that could cure cancer, it could give you eternal life. I mean, you could be like a God, and we are, by the way, eternal, and we're healthy, we don't have cancer. You could be like us, like a God, if only if it wasn't for that mean ogre God who said that he's in charge of everything. He's the dictator. Don't you want to be free from that? And there's people that believe it hook, line, and sinker. And it's going to be repackaged as modern Gnosticism. And you mark it down. They're going to call good evil and evil good. Believe that. That's what the Bible says. Don't believe me. Check it out. But this was the lie that Nebuchadnezzar believed, and it's repackaged all the way down to now, and it's reformation of mystery Babylon in these end times. This is why when we come to church, we edify one another, not to uh, conform to this world, but to constantly renew our minds to the truth who sets us free. So to wrap this all up, <clears throat> when we think about the, the preeminence of God, I want you to think about this last thought here. It's a quote that I quote often because it's actually one of my favorite quotes on the character, the quality, the attributes of God. Well, go to this next one. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to throw that one in there. I threw it in last week, but it's not, it's not who you are. It's whose you are, Becky Nunez. So this is my second favorite quote. Go to the next slide. What comes into our minds when we think about God as the most, most important thing about us, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man or woman is not what he or she at any given time may say or do, but what he or she in their deep heart conceives God to be like. God is eminent. Go to the next one. Which means... You don't have to go distances to find God. He is in everything. He is right here. God is above all things, beneath all things, outside of all things, inside of all things. God is above, and he's not pushed up. He is beneath, but he's not pressed down. He is outside, but he is not excluded. He is inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things, presiding, beneath all things, sustaining, outside of all things, embracing, and inside of all things, filling. This is the eminence and the preeminence of God. God does not travel to get anywhere because there's not any place where God is not. A.W. Tozer. We're going to wrap that up. But considering the preeminence of Jesus, that he'd have preeminence in the church, where we read in Colossians,